Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, I just got a couple of announcements, and then I just want to read a psalm before we pray this morning. It's so good to have you here this morning. If you are new uh, to the chapel, would you do me a favor? Out of the sanctuary to the right, there is a welcome center. There are people there that would love to uh, record your attendance, and we also have a gift for you. So if you would go out there, that would be great, and we look forward to um, seeing you here. Um, water baptism begins on Sunday, September 26. So if you have never been baptized and if you want to profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ publicly, uh, we would love to have you uh, do that. There is a sign-up sheet outside on the table right out front. So if you would sign up, we would love to be able to get an opportunity to talk to you about the baptism service, which will be on the 26th of September. I'll be running some classes called Relational Wisdom. Um, They will be starting the week of the 12th, and we are also, Sunday school is back. So actually, in this time of COVID, uh, we have not been able to run Sunday school, but we are coming back with Sunday school on September the 12th as well, 930. There will be adult Bible fellowship. There will be Sunday school for every age. Uh, So please look in your announcements for that, but that will be two weeks from now, so we're looking forward to that. I want you to just be in prayer. Um, there are a number of our families that have military um, people in the military, and as they are going through these challenging times, we have some from our congregation that are actually in Afghanistan as well. So I, I, I'd like you to be praying. I pray for our, our nation. I pray for our president. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our governors. Uh, pray for all of them. God obligates us to pray for these leaders, and I pray that you'd be doing that. But also pray for these, these men and women that put themselves in harm's way for us so that we could be protected as well. I was thinking of a psalm. I just want to read a portion of it this morning before I pray. Psalm 91 goes this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. Which is interesting. The enemies that we're dealing with, the fowler and then the pestilence that we've been struggling with in our world. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High is your refuge. I wonder if that's really the issue. It's making God our dwelling place. Is he your dwelling place this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, such a beautiful psalm. And as the psalmist is talking about the fact that you are sheltering him, you are, he's abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. He sees you as a refuge, a fortress, and he says that I can trust you because you are my God. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that. There's so many prayer requests that we can offer here, Lord, but we pray for the Stinson family as they had a service from um, Holly's mom this week, Lord. I pray for them as, as they've gone through the service, Lord, itself, but I pray for them in their time of grief, Father, that you would comfort them. It reminds me of a grief share, which will be starting at the end of September. 
a number of people that need to be um, comforted during those times of grief. Lord, I pray for uh, Dana and Zach and their family as they're struggling with COVID. Father, COVID has just um, been racking their family, and I pray that you'd be comforting them right now. Lord, I didn't get a chance to talk to Carol this morning, but I think she's had Carol Sutherland. I think she's having some reaction, Lord. I pray for healing. She's gone through a number of physical battles and difficult struggles, and I pray that you would be touching her. And Father, we continue to pray for Diana Kelly. Lord, I pray that you would work in her life and through her life. Pray for Victor and the family, Father, as they comfort her. Pray for the wisdom of the doctors. Pray that you would remind us that you are with her and you will never leave her. Finally, Father, we pray for our troops, some from our own congregation, those that are first responders that are here in our congregation as well. Thank you for those men and women that put themselves in harm's way for our protection. Help us always to remember them, and I pray your protection upon them. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.
this life to declare. This life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. What can I say? So what can I say? What can I do? We offer our hearts. We offer this heart, oh God. So what can I say? So what can I say? What can I do? We offer our hearts, Lord. We offer this heart, oh God, completely So I'll stand. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. We're in awe of the one who gave it all. And I'll stand my soul to you surrendered all I am is yours so I'll stand
what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to use. What can I say? So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Sure, the price it has been paid 
for Jesus' blood and suffered for my part. He was raised and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, to this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. We hold to you, Lord, but we know that we are not doing this on our own. We, we need you. We need help. We need forgiveness. We need salvation. We need you every moment of our day, every moment of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for taking care of our deepest need, our sin need that separates us from you completely. You didn't say, do this checklist, do all this stuff, and then you can come to me. You sent yourself in human flesh as your son to die for us, to take the penalty. You are just, and you are also the justifier. God, we thank you this morning that we can sing that together of these things, of your great mercy, of your great forgiveness, and of your great protection. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you have me secure. And though I may die, I know like we just sang, I go to see you face to face. God, thank you for providing a way when there simply was no way for us to come to you. And God, as we hear your word this morning, help it to be, to move down deep inside of us and not just listen to it and not just to hear it, but for it to enact change because your word is living and powerful. We thank you for this time of worship. Be with us now as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to have you here. Uh, children can be rele- uh, released. <laughs> Junior church. You know what I mean. Freudian slips once in a while. Oh, boy. Just a, a quick reminder before we will be looking at uh, Malachi chapter 3 here in our time together. Um, Malachi chapter 3 verses 13 to the end. So we're, we're finishing up on the series on Malachi today. Um, and then we're going to be doing a short series on Proverbs for about uh, six or seven weeks. And then we're going to be doing a longer series on the book of Ephesians, which will take us into the spring. So that's kind of the big chunks that we're looking at over the next couple weeks. James will be leading us out next week on uh, wisdom living, and the particular issue is anger next week. But nobody has an issue with that, James. So like, why come? You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, um, so it's an issue that touches all of us in a whole host of ways. So we hope you'll really appreciate that series. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Malachi chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 4, 6 in our time together. Um, Don, if you don't mind me asking, do they they have PowerPoint? Oh, it's coming. All right, all right, all right. So you got a PowerPoint coming. Well, I have an announcement to make uh, as that's coming up. So yesterday we had a gender reveal for one of my my daughter-in-law. Um, they invited us over to their house, and um, so I already have three girls, so we were kind of wondering w- what the fourth one might be here, and sure enough, when they did that reveal, out came another pink, so we've got number four coming, which is a girl, and you know, and, and all you care about at the end of the day is that they're healthy, right? So, so, um, so number four Girl, we are on a roll right now with, with uh, grandchildren. But I, I was thinking about um, this whole idea of gender reveals and all those kinds of things. And, and I couldn't help but think in Malachi here, Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 4, 4 6, we have a, a kind of another reveal, not a, not a gender reveal, but a great reveal from God. And and watch as we work through this passage, because God, who knows everything, can reveal us for who we are. So God can reveal deep, can he? And expose who we really are. And you're going to find that in this passage. And God can reveal broadly, because he knows all of history, so he can put the whole thing together for us, both on a broad temporal basis and on a very deep basis personal basis. And both of those things happen in this passage. It it was uh, 
by God's design again, and, and God has a way of doing this. But I, as I was listening to the songs we were singing today, did you notice themes running through there? Themes like, life is hard, but Christ is there. We can hold on to the one thing that is sure in a world that's very unsure. Those themes came up several times in these songs, and they encourage us as God's people, don't they? When you're looking at the folks living at Malachi's time, life is hard. There's pestilence, there's opposition, there's all those things going on. And people are trying to sort the whole thing out. And God comes and gives the great reveal. And in revealing to them, he reveals to us. So what does he say? I want you to notice, he's going to go deep by revealing two kinds of people. First of all, we find this in verses 3, 13 to 17. Let me read it to you. And remember, in, in Malachi, we have these whole series of what we, we call disputations with God. And here's another one. God says, you have spoken arrogantly. Some, some translations use the word harshly. And the word in the Hebrew is this, this, this idea of of, of strong, where you're overbearing and stepping into territory you don't deserve to be stepping into. But you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, says Jehovah, says Yahweh. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? And, and literally in the Hebrew it says, what have we spoken together with others against you? Okay, I think that would be even more clear. And God goes on to say this. You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like a bunch of mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, Evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they will get away with it. They're pretty strong words, aren't they? Now, I I, want to clarify something here, because I I think it's really, really, really important to understand. True Christians struggle deeply with the challenges of the world around us. You, You understand that, don't you? You can read in the, in the Psalms, for instance, Psalm 73 with Asaph. Asaph is just smitten in his soul as he looks at all the challenges around him and, and all the things that are going wrong. And in his soul, he's just in turmoil over God. What is going on here? No, it's part of the experience of a true Christian. I don't question that at all. So if you're there... You're often living in the lament psalms. I get that. But this is beyond that here. This is not a true Christian who's at times believing their doubts, doubting their beliefs, and just struggling through the process. 
We all are there. We all have been there. We all will be there. This is somebody who has gone beyond that. And what God does is he reveals their heart. This is not a a believer in Jesus who is just struggling. This is somebody who has gotten involved in religious things to see what they can get out of it. You know, maybe Christianity is a good thing. Something else I can stick in my pocket. You know, I can pull it out when I need it and put it back in my pocket when I don't. Because at the end of the day, isn't Christianity just about whether God's a good deal for me? Do you think people live like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, all, all over the place. Did, does that happen in the ancient world with Jews who say that they're followers of Yahweh? Absolutely. And this particular group, they've gone beyond. They're not just, even Asaph and Asaph and, and, and Psalm 73, when he's struggling in his soul and he's going through all this stuff, he's saying, like, I don't feel I can talk to, any about this, to anybody about this because I don't want to hurt them in their faith walk with God. Remember where he says that? Not this group. <laughs> no, no, no. They're speaking with each other against God. They're going out there and they're saying, what's the deal on this Yahweh thing? Why in the world do we have to keep the law of Moses? I mean, really? And then we have to do the national repentance things. Come on. Going around mourning. What a pain in the neck. Ugh. I, I think it's actually better to be proud and arrogant because God doesn't do anything to those people anyway. Why am I even in this thing to start with? The great reveal is that God exposes their heart because when you go to the very center of their heart, you don't find that God is central you find that they are central. And at best, it's how God can help them. Do you see the difference? So when you read this, don't say, well, I'm a believer in Christ. I love him. I, I, I seek to honor him when I don't understand life. And I've thought things sort of like this. Of course, we all have. But this group is revealing something else. That they are ones whose hearts are not set on God. They are not real believers in God. They are being exposed by the things that are happening around them. You know, difficulty can do that, can it? I, I've been in this business, I shouldn't call it a business, but doing Christianity and pastoring and all this for many, many years, and, and one of the things that has saddened my heart is to watch people who appear to walk away from God and never come back. And, you know, in my heart, I'm thinking, well, that, that's a true believer, right? I, I think, right? I'm, yeah. And, but they manifest by their lifestyle that they never truly had it to start with by the way they're living. And so with this pressure that is coming in to these people at this time of Malachi, that pressure is coming and it just has a way of revealing who people are. 
And so there's a whole bunch of them. They are downright irreverent to God. You are not a deal for me anymore. And they're happy to tell other people about it. That's scary. But you know, difficulty and pressure doesn't only reveal those who claim one thing but are something else. It also reveals the genuine, doesn't it? So notice in verses 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. They're speaking too one another, okay? But it's a very different conversation. And the Lord listened and heard. Now, before I read on, I, I just want to explain something to you. This group is going through difficulties too. Don't think that these guys are like, they're, they're, they're just skating through life. No, they're facing all the same problems that the other group is facing. The difference is not the circumstances. The difference is who they are in the inside. And so you have these individuals who fear the Lord. And listen to what it says. I love this. I love this. Look. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Oh, and there's debates among scholars. Is this an actual book in heaven or blah, blah, blah? Whatever. Here's the truth. God is saying, I will never forget. Get a book out and let's put it all down. These are my people. They're under pressure. But they're staying true to me. Let's get it down. Now, God doesn't need anything down. He remembers everything. So it could be a metaphor. But isn't it precious to you? In the ancient world, kings would often have things written to remind him of what was coming on. And perhaps it's working off of that model there. But the point is, God looks. When you and I are going through challenges and difficulties as his true people, And we're sharing with one another our pain and our difficulty. It's not like God's out of town. God is right there. He hears. He listens attentively to us. And he has a book written. In which he'll never forget. We're described as people who fear him. And here it says, exalt his name. The Hebrew word's a hard one sometimes to translate. I think exalt's a good word, a good, good translation. But sometimes it has the idea of ponder. Meditate, reflect. Do, do, do you see the difference? You've got a group of people who when pressure comes upon them, because at the core of their lives it's all about themselves, all they do be, begin to do is they begin to attack God and why serve him or have anything to do with him. I'm going to do my own thing, go, go this way and blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. And you've got other people when that pressure comes. They say, God, I don't understand. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that you're sovereign. What I do know that 
you're for me. And we can say, they didn't know it. They didn't know about Christ. But we can say, we know you're for us because you sent your son. You are for us. You love us. It's a mystery what we're experiencing right now. We have no answers. But we're going to ponder and meditate afresh upon the wonders of who you are. Because we have no other place to go but you. Because we know that you're the most important person in the entire universe. Do you see the difference? It's not the outside pressure. It's the heart. And in the heart you have people that are saying, God, we revere you. We don't always understand you. Life is a mystery often. But we're here. For there's no other and there's no better place to be. This is a group that fears God. And he goes on to say this here in verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Do you see the terms he uses for us? That, that the idea of a treasured possession, it actually goes back to Exodus 19. Talking about what God wants to do with his people Israel who truly commit to him. But if you run over into your New Testament, it's also picked up in 1 Peter chapter 2 for us. Where Peter says, Jews, Gentiles, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are my treasured possession. When God thinks about the thing he loves most. Yeah, you ever go to somebody's house, you know, and they're showing you around and they go like, oh, I, I was at a, I have a relative who has a very wealthy relative, too distant to really benefit me, but, 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 but nonetheless, very wealthy relative. And, and, you know, he, he, he will take me over and he'll open up a box and he'll say, now, Doug, this stuff is very expensive and special. He's got some books that are worth tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, they're really old. And, and, he, and Doug, let me show you this one over here. You know, you've been to people where, where they just open it up. Man, this is, this is it. You know what God does? He opens up and he says, it's my people. That's my treasured possession. Those who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my treasured possession right there. And regardless of what we go through in life, at the end of the day, we are spared because we are his children. And all God can give to his children is compassion. This is a great reveal. It reveals those who make a claim of religiosity who at the core of their being are not for God. And it reveals the problems around us, those who truly know God. They're not perfect. They doubt. They question. All that stuff. 
But they're in the midst of all of that, they're centered on God. And God says, they're mine. They're safe. It'll be okay at the end of the day. So the great reveal. God has this way of going deep, doesn't he? He also has this way of going broad. Where he looks at life temporally. And uh, so on this one, I thought I'd give you a couple of visuals. Because the text gives you some visuals, okay? Listen to what he says. And, and here's what he's going to do now. God is going to turn, and the word you is going to be used here in verse 18, running down through chapter 4, verse 1, where he's talking now to that first group. And he's going to be sharing with them, where does this whole thing go? Then he's going to turn in 4.2 and use the word you again, but now he's talking to his people. Not perfect people, redeemed people, who's in their, who in their heart are focused on him. So God visually reveals two coming consequences, two very different consequences for two very different kinds of people. So, verse 18. You will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Because remember, these people are saying like, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. God says, oh no, oh no, you, you will see. Between those who serve God and those who do not. Remember what they said back in 13? It's, it's stupid to serve God. Why do it? What a waste. God says, no. You're going to see that that really does matter. Now, I'm reading from the NIV. The first word I have in chapter 4, verse 1, is the word surely. Um, again, I think a better translation there, if you have the ESV, it has the word for. It's, it's, it's a conjunction in the Hebrew that can go a variety of ways. I think for is a better translation here. So, let me, let me say it that way. So, chapter 4, verse 1. For the day is coming. So, you who think it's a waste to do this Christian stuff. A distinction's coming for. The day is coming. That day will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant, every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Does that scare you? It should. It should. What does God say to people whose religiosity is about that deep? It's not based on genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. It's based on a whole bunch of other things. God says, you who say, it's just not worth it. A day is coming. And that day is, is like, so that picture there on the left is a bunch of stubble in a field that's being burnt and destroyed. God says there's a day that's coming 
that I'm holding back on because I'm a God of mercy. But it's coming. And that day will be a day of destruction. There won't even be a root left when it's all said and done. I don't know, but if I'm in that first group, I'm gulping right about now. Aren't you? I'm like, well, that sounds kind of harsh. Yeah. But warnings which are harsh are blessings in disguise. Because you're not there yet. You have time to repent. Isn't that beautiful? So he says, look, that day is coming. And it's a scary day of destruction. I tell you now so that you can live differently. And you can be changed by God. Then he turns and looks at the other group. Here in verse, verse 3, listen to what he says to them. For, verse 2, sorry. But, but you who revere my name. You see what he just did? You who think this way or have all these questions, that doesn't matter. It does matter. You who revere my name, that's, that's different. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Now, I know right now in the summertime, it's hot and humid even when the sun comes up. I get that. I mean, like, I, like, I can't wait for the fall. I mean, I'm really waiting on the fall. But don't you just love those cold mornings when you get up and that sun breaks up and all of a sudden you can almost just kind of feel those rays, right? Oh, it's warming you up. Oh, it's good stuff. Think that way, okay? Think that way. I'm just saying. Don't think like another hot, humid day. Don't think that way. Think, think, Think it's October or something like that. But you know what that's like? And you just kind of take in those rays, and it's just like, man, I'm feeling, it's healing. It's, it's really good things. So to, to the one group, stubble, roots, root, everything destroyed. To the other group, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like a well-fed calf. So that's what that bottom picture there is supposed to be representing. Um, do you know what it's like to have a puppy that's been trying to get outside for the longest time? And what happens when you open that door? Oh, man, it's so much fun. It's just, you know what I mean? I mean, that little guy, after he goes to the bathroom, you know, he's just bobbing all over the place. So I suppose you could kind of say it like that too. But here's the point. For God's people, what awaits them is healing and hope and incredible joy. They're just going to pop around like a puppy, or in this case, a frolicking calf. Do you see this contrast between those two folks? I mean, you're talking about night and day differences. It's off the charts. He goes on to say this. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, 
says the Lord Almighty. You know what it made me think of? In Revelation, I believe it's chapter 7. You have a whole host of individuals who have been martyred for the cause of Christ. And in their hearts, they're in heaven, they're with God, but they're saying, Lord, how long till we see your justice in this world? How long till all these things are corrected? And Revelation gives us the answer to that, doesn't it? And this text says the same thing. God's people will be in a world one day where there will be no wickedness. All wicked people will be gone because we're better than them. No, because we know Jesus Christ. And he has forgiven us and he's in the process of changing us. It's all about him. But he looks at two very different ends for these individuals. It's hard to wait though, isn't it? We've been waiting for Christ to come back for 2,000 years. Man, I'm ready for that frolicking thing, man. Like, I'm, I'm all over that thing. And you are too as his people. But I can tell you this. If you're the first group of individuals that he's talked about, and your religiosity goes about that deep, There's no authenticity, genuine. There's not a true relationship with Christ underneath. You still have time. You can repent. You can turn. You can come to Christ. And if you do know Christ, as hard as it is, better days are coming. In his time, in his way, they're coming. The passage ends then in verses 4 to 6 with a final appeal. So what does God say to these beleaguered believers in Yahweh who are feeling all this pressure but they're seeking to walk with him when it's so hard? What's he say? It's going to say, I'll give it away. The song that you and I sing and we've sung for years, trust and obey, for there's no other way. That's where he's going to end up. Look at what he says. In verse 4, he's going to talk about the obedience. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. You know what he's telling them? I know what these people over here are saying. I'm not doing all this Christianity stuff anymore. It doesn't mean anything. I don't get anything from it. Stay faithful. You don't have all the answers. That's that's okay. You have me. Remember what I've called you to do and stay the course. And trust that I will do exactly what I said I would do. Verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day 
of the Lord when it comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God is simultaneously a God of righteousness and majesty and justice and holiness and all that. And a God of compassion and love and mercy. We can never look at one to the exclusion of the other, folks. If you only look at the hard texts about God, what we call hard, they're telling us who he is. It glorifies him. You will just shrink away and spend your life trying to please one you can never please. And if you only focus on the compassion, love, the the softer parts, then he's some grandfather upstairs that you can check in with whatever you want and use him the way you want because he's always going to be nice to me. God is all that. He's both majestic, holy, other, transcendent, creator. We are a creature. And one who has visited us in Jesus Christ so that he might bring us into relationship with him. It's both. You refuse this, you will experience the fire that is coming. You know him. No matter what you go through, he's always for you. In this particular text, and I just want to explain it to you. I don't want to get too theological for too long, but I think it's important that you understand how this works together. When you hear about Elijah coming, don't you think of John the Baptist? You should, for good reason. Because Jesus will say, John the Baptist is Elijah. He'll also say in Matthew chapter 17, there's John the Baptist is Elijah, and there's also another Elijah coming. You're going like, what, what, what's going on? And here, here let, me, let me just try to put this together for you. In this passage, when this passage looks at that coming day of the Lord where God is intervening in all of history, okay, it's often a complex of events. The emphasis here is on judgment, isn't it? You see that in the passage? But if you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, well, it seems to me that that's more Christ's second coming, not his first coming. And you're correct. What you find in this passage when it talks about the coming day of the Lord, it looks at the judgment. And yet you have a whole bunch of other passages in the Old Testament that when it looks to the future, it talks about a suffering Messiah that's going to come. So how do you put together God's going to bring ultimate justice, suffering Messiah, sins have to be atoned for, hmm, with the first and second coming of Christ? So when you read this passage, you have to read it in light of the flow of everything happening in the Old Testament. Now, in all fairness, when John the Baptist came on the scene, a lot of the language of this, pas- of this passage right here is used for John the Baptist. You read in Luke chapter 1, 
when Zechariah is giving his prophecy, and he will talk about Jesus. He was saying that John the Baptist would be talking about the one who would be this rising sun. Well, you go like, well, we just read that in this passage. And you read earlier in Luke chapter 1, where, where Gabriel talks to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, your son is going to be about the mission of bringing the fathers and children back together. You're, you're here in this passage. James preached about it last week. Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to send my messenger before you. Mark chapter 1 says, John the Baptist. Do you know what John the Baptist thought when he came on the scene? When he preached, he used this expre- these expressions of fire. You read over in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist will say, you know what? You guys had better submit to God for who he is because otherwise fire and destruction of root systems, everything's going to happen to you. He's pretty strong. And he even said, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. And John the Baptist is thinking, new covenant, the Spirit's coming. Fire of destruction upon all the enemies of God. One event. That's what John the Baptist is thinking. And I understand it because of what you find here in Malachi. Did you see that? But there's also other passages in the Old Testament that talk about suffering and redemption and all other kinds of things. And what Jesus does in his ministry, because remember when John the Baptist ends up in prison for doing the right thing? And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, are, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? Do you ever wonder why he said that? It's because in his mind, you read Malachi, Elijah-like figure coming, suns, beauty, rays, all this kind of judgment, fire. He's thinking, it's all going to happen now. And Jesus goes on to tell John in in Matthew chapter 11, no, 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 John. They're two separate events. John, do you see healing going on around you? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a sign that I'm Messiah. I've come to heal people, give them hope. John, I'm going to die for them so they can be saved. For those that reject, another day is coming. But in my grace and kindness, John, you're introducing me, and I'm doing the one in my first coming and the other in my second coming. And Jesus will have to go on and do the exact same thing with his disciples in Matthew 13, explaining this to them so that it's very, very clear. So when Jesus says, Elijah has come, yeah, John the Baptist is introducing Jesus, but there's going to be another Elijah-like figure coming for the second coming. That's going to happen too. You have two like figures there. But here's the point. God looks at two groups that he has revealed. He reveals to them what he's going to do in history. And he says, will you trust and obey? Will you do that? 
And folks, that's what he tells us today. Brothers and sisters, those of you that know Christ, read again Romans 8. A passage which is filled with suffering and hope. A passage which is filled with groaning because, Lord, it's not supposed to be this way. But a better day is coming. When I read Malachi, when I read Romans 8, I'm reminded again that you and I have to be people that walk by faith and not by sight. Habakkuk, he had it right, didn't he? The just shall live by faith. It is faith which we, when God's Spirit convicts us of our sin and we realize that we are sinners and are undone and have no hope and hell is our only, only, the only thing that awaits us. In faith, we respond to the gracious work of God in our hearts by His Spirit and we say yes. The just begin their lives by faith, don't they? But you know what? They continue then to live their lives by faith. Which is exactly when it's quoted in Hebrews 10, how it's, how it's being applied. And so wherever you are, if you're a Christian and you're walking with God and it's hard, God wants to remind you again, I know it's hard. Stay focused on me. Better days are coming. Think about it, folks. When this was written for the people in Malachi's day, they had to wait four, over 400 years for the first coming of Christ. We now are waiting for the second coming of Christ. Fair enough. But we know he's come the first time. Which means we know he's coming back the second. And because he's already giving us a foretaste of what is to come, we can be men and women who walk by faith and not by sight. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have no hope. You only have an eternal destiny, as the Bible describes it, a fire. It's not my words, it's his. You have a hard time with it? Talk to him. But I tell you that because it doesn't have to be your destiny. You can fall to your knees and say, I want to be forgiven of my sins because of what Christ has done for me on the, on the cross of Calvary. He's come out of the grave to show that he's victorious. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. And in one fell swoop, you have become God's treasured possession. That fast. You can trust in nothing else. Nothing else will do but him. But when you've come to him, this text calls us to continue to live our lives by faith in the God who can be trusted. And with that, our Old Testament comes to a close, doesn't it?
I don't know what they did, the people in their day, with all this stuff. I know most of them didn't do what they should have done with it. But I suppose the larger question is, what will you do with it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. Often they're hard words. But they're good words, Lord, because they're honest words. And they're words of warning to protect us from what is coming. Father, thank you for that gracious word to us. Father, thank you for reminding us as believers that although the way may be difficult and hard, that you are here. We are your treasured possessions. We are your children. We are remembered by you. Father, use this truth in our lives that we might go forth from this this place as a changed, hopeful people. In Christ's name I pray. shelter in the storm when troubles pour upon me though fears are rising like a flood my soul can rest securely oh Jesus I will hide in you my place of peace and solace No trial is deeper than your love That comforts all my sorrow I have a shelter I have a shelter in the storm When all my sins accuse me Though justice charges me with guilt, your grace will not refuse me. Oh, Jesus, I will hide in you who bore my condemnation. Find my refuge in your wounds, for there I find salvation. have a shelter. I have a shelter in the storm when constant winds would break me. For in my weakness I have learned your strength will not forsake me. Oh Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burden. With faithful hands that cannot fail, you'll bring me home to heaven. 
Oh, Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burdens, with faithful hands that cannot fail, you'll bring me home to heaven. Yes, Lord, we trust that this morning, that we have a shelter in you, can trust in you, that you provide, you protect. Like we learned again today, Lord, you are just and you are the justifier. There is an end coming. But for Christians, Lord, it's a glorious end. It's a glorious rebirth and renewal. To be made what we are meant to be and for the world to be made what it's meant to be. But that does not mean we should be quiet, that we should be hidden. That we should go from this place, Lord, as people willing to say, I have the best news possible for you. If you're lost and you're broken, like everyone is, there's only hope found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you this morning we can be together. Please encourage us to go from here to be your hands and feet. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.